Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God wants us to have a good time worshiping and serving Him. God wants me to minister to you with joy. God wants our assistant pastors and our worship leaders to have joy as they're doing it. God doesn't want you to ruin that joy. Today on Practical Christian Living, we continue through our series in the book of James, where in today's passage, James asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? May we use the wisdom we hold to unite and bring joy and glory to God and not to cause division and strife. With a powerful lesson out of James 3, verses 13 through 18, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing, for the work that you are doing within each one of our hearts. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and help us to understand why James is writing this, that we could have an understanding as to what we are supposed to do when we see something that we feel needs to be confronted. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Years ago, I I read a book called The First Century Church, which was about the different aspects or those things that were distinct about the church in the first century. We're talking about the church that's written about in the book of Acts. We're talking about the church that's written about or two in the book of Corinthians and in the book of Ephesus and in the book of Galatians. And they took certain aspects from those churches, from that history and those letters and said, this is what the modern day church should be like a first century church. But there are also a lot of things about the first century church that we don't want to be. Remember, the church at Corinth was a church that had a lot of problems. I can tell you, I'm very glad I'm not pastoring the church at Corinth. That instead, I'm pastoring you guys. Because you guys do not have a lot of the problems that they had. We have some problems. We all have problems, okay? We have some problems. But we don't have the problems that the church at Corinth had. The same is true with some of the other early churches. Now, remember that James is the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He's writing to a lot of his congregation that's been dispersed under persecution. Saul of Tarsus has begun to persecute the church, and the persecution becomes so bad that people flee Jerusalem. They end up in Damascus, for example. Paul would eventually chase them to Damascus. They end up in areas of Turkey. They end up over in Macedonia, which is modern-day Europe today. Literally, the gospel is spread throughout the known world because of persecution. God used the persecution to spread these churches out. So now these Jewish early churches are small in their communities, and they're shining as light. Each community now has a group of people that are living for Jesus and shining for him. But obviously, because of where we're going now with our text, there are some problems There is bickering, there is fighting, there is envy, there is strife, there is dissension. Sounds like some churches that I've been in. Sounds like some churches that I've been a part of. Sounds like some churches that you guys have been a part of, right? 
Some of you guys that have a history of being at churches, you've been at churches where there's dissension and self-seeking and jealousy and envy that rises up where problems and difficulties are not handled correctly. And so James is writing them to say, let's take care of this the proper way. That's where he goes, not only at the end of chapter three, but at the beginning of chapter four. The text that we're covering today is just the start of dealing with this topic. He's just gotten done talking to us about our tongue and how much trouble our tongue can get us into and that God will judge us by our words. Whenever we hear that, by the way, that God will judge us by our words, we ought to be scared because we all stumble in many ways, right? We all say things we shouldn't. There's not a person in this room that doesn't. You say, well, not me. I have perfect control over my tongue. I say exactly what I want to say always, just exactly what needs to be said. Well, you've got a lying problem or a perspective problem if you think that you never struggle with what you say. That's what James tells us. Well, now he turns to one of the problems that people's tongue have gotten themselves into. There's been discussions. There's been dissensions. There's been arguments. There's been problems in these churches. And so he asks a question. He starts this section off with a question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, that's a good question for us. And if we can just stop right there before we continue to read on in the text and just answer that question, who is wise and understanding among us? Well, first of all, let's have a show of hands. <laughs> all right, let's not do that. Who's wise and understanding? The reality is the vast majority of you guys are wise and understanding because the vast majority of you have walked with the Lord for several years. There's some of you who are new, some of you here that have walked for six or eight months, and you're on your way to being wise and understanding. Why? Because a child of God, that God's working in their hearts and lives, becomes wise and understanding. So that the church should be made up of people who are wise and understanding. But this question is not a question of understanding that. And therefore, as a pastor of a group of people who are wise and understanding, I'm going to approach you guys humbly because I realize that God's working in your life, that God's giving you wisdom, that God's working understanding out in you. If as a pastor, I don't believe that, then I'm probably going to be arrogant. I'm going to talk in a condescending way to you. I'm going to get on you when I teach. I'm going to tell you how bad you are when I teach. Instead of looking at the truth as a point of teaching and gaining information and knowledge, which we all need. But why do you think he throws out that question? It's like, to me, it's like fishing bait. Who's wise and understanding among you? There we go. I got one. <laughs> That's what he's doing. He's waiting for people to say, me, I'm wise and understanding. Because who was causing problems in the early church? They were people that thought that they were wise and understanding. They were people that thought in their small little Jewish fellowship that they could not understand why that person was used. They couldn't understand why they weren't doing things the right way. How come you're doing those things that are wrong? And they were causing dissension and they were causing strife. When God's desire for a fellowship is that we would be in harmony, that we would all live in a little Honda. That's God's desire. Some of you guys get it. Some of you guys didn't. What does the Bible say? 
that we should all live in one accord? <laughs> Little Honda, get it? So what God's desire is for us is to have harmony, right? God doesn't want us divisive and argumentative and tearing one another down. God doesn't want us unapproachable, unwilling, unyielding, unmoving. God doesn't want us in pride and arrogance to look around and say, I'm going to straighten this place out. I'm going to straighten these people out. If you feel like you're here today and the rest of us are all messed up, this message is for you. Who's wise and understanding among you? That's what he's doing. He's fishing for the person who would say, me, I'm wise and understanding. God's brought me to this church to fix it. <laughs> you, ever, you ever heard anybody say that? I've heard it. I've heard it more than I've wanted to hear it. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say God probably hasn't called you to fix a church from the bottom up, that usually God doesn't call people into a church to create strife and dissension and to cause problems. What God wants is for us to have joy. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 13 that for the teacher, the one that God has placed over you to care for your soul spiritually, that he must do so as one who must give an account. And then he says, let him do it with joy and not with grief. God wants us to have a good time worshiping and serving him. God wants me to minister to you with joy. God wants our assistant pastors and our worship leaders to have joy as they're doing it. God doesn't want you to ruin that joy. I wonder if there are those that minister and just hate it. Those who hate their job. A Skip Heitzig story. He tells the story of a guy who woke up in the morning. His mother came in and said, you got to get up and go to church. And, and he said, why do I got to go to church? Because the Bible says to. It says, don't forsake the gathering of yourself together. Well, I don't want to go to church. None of those people like me down there. Well, you got to because you're the pastor. <laughs> if you have ever been responsible for making a pastor's life miserable and not a joy, then this message is for you. <laughs> this message is a message where God would say, let's let it be a joy. It doesn't mean that a pastor is unapproachable. It doesn't mean that a pastor never gets anything wrong. It doesn't mean that a pastor should ever say these words. And if you're going into ministry or you're a minister, never say these words. Don't you know who I am? And don't you touch God's anointed. Those words should never leave our lips. If we really believe that we are not perfect, if we, I'm talking about pastors, really believe that we make mistakes, then we ought to be approachable. Then we ought to allow someone to come to us and say, listen, I don't think you're doing this right. Or I think that you're doing this wrong. Or you guys did this to me and I don't think that was right. We ought to be willing to go, well, why don't you explain it to me? I don't know if I'm right or wrong here. I'll just explain it. We ought to be approachable. And in this passage, I don't believe that James is saying, get your hands off the pastor and don't ever say anything bad about him. And that we should have this Moses style of leadership. Now, the Moses style of leadership is that God called Moses to lead the children of Israel and that God calls a pastor to lead the church. And Calvary Chapel follows into the Moses style of leadership. If you go to a Calvary Chapel, it is most likely that kind of a style, that the vision has been given to a guy and that guy takes the direction of the church. Some equate Moses' style of leadership as an inability to approach the guy 
that God is giving direction to. But you remember that Moses made mistakes and had to be corrected. So by no means is it saying that somebody is over a body and can't make any mistakes, and you better not approach them. And if a pastor begins to feel that he is unapproachable and people can't say anything negative to him, well, that's a real problem. And listen, if you feel like something is, is being done in a fellowship and you want to approach them, one of the first things that you've got to remember is that almost always 100%, the person that you're going to be approaching is probably not real confident. He, he probably feels insecure in his position. I, I shared with you before we were going to buy a church here in town for the East Campus before we purchased the building we're in. And it was from another church. It was a church. And I called up the pastor, his name was Chuck, and I called him up one day and I just said, hey, Chuck, wanted to talk to you about the church. And he said, I would really appreciate it if you would call me Pastor Chuck. <laughs> and I said, um, all right, Pastor Chuck, you can call me Robert. No, I didn't say that to him. Um, but I realized at that point there was insecurities there, that's all. He was just insecure. He was feeling like, I need to be you know, recognized as this position that I have as a pastor because he felt that some people were feeling like he wasn't a pastor. So he was insecure. We all ought to be secure enough in the position that God's given us that people can approach us and ask us questions. And if the pastor becomes defensive, he's probably insecure in his position. One of the first times that I ever had one of the big guys from Calvary Chapel come and speak at our church, I won't tell you who it was, but he came and he spoke and it was really good. And afterwards we went out for dinner and I'm, you know, I'm out with a guy that I really respect and that I've just been ministered to by so much in my life. And we sit down and he goes, how was my message? Was it good? Do you think it was good? Do you think I communicate? How, how was it? How was it? And I thought, that's, you're not insecure. I'm, that's what I do to my wife. Honey, how was my message? What was it like? Was it good? Was it not good? What was the message like? I'm insecure. You're this person that's been used for years by God. And all of a sudden, I began to get a real picture of what's taking place. We're all insecure. <laughs> we really are the foolish of the world that's been called by God. And we really all are like, am I doing an okay job? Am I really? So when you approach somebody and you're prideful and you're arrogant and you challenge them, if they've got any insecurities, then they're probably going to stiffen their back a little bit. They're probably going to say, oh, you, you shouldn't be talking to me that way because I'm the pastor. And by the way, if God's leading you to be a pastor and you ever have to say those words, I'm the pastor. You're really not acting like the pastor. It's like the husband that has to say, I'm the husband. Not really sure that particular point, if you are or not. Like a manager at a store that has to say to his employees, I'm the manager. Mm, don't know. We can be secure in who we are and be approachable and be willing to say, you know what? And I'll give you guys that permission to approach me or, or my staff and with correction saying, hey, well, I'm not sure you guys are doing this right. I think maybe we should be doing this. I don't think we're doing everything right. I don't think we're doing everything as good as we can be doing it. And I want that input. However, there is an approach that we should have as we do that, all right? So with that said, who is wise and understanding among you? The real reality is most of us, but James is fishing for somebody. He says, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. He says, if you're wise in your understanding, then you ought to have meekness in your conduct. Now, what is meekness? Meekness is a relative of humility. So meekness, first of all, is humble. It's a person who says, you know what? I'm nobody special. 
It's a person who does what Philippians 2 says and puts other people's interests above their own interests, who says, this person is better than I am. That's a humble person. Jesus laid his glory aside, Philippians 2, and he became a little lower than the angels, and he became a servant. Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve. And I want to say, secondly, that meekness is a servant. Meekness is a person that puts other people's interests above their interests. Meekness is a person that says, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this out of selfish ambition. I'm not doing this to try to gain something for me. I'm doing this because God's called me to do it, and I'm walking in meekness as a servant. How much better would our churches be if everybody in the church, from those that are attending to those that are preaching, if everybody would be meek in their conduct, would be saying, it's not about me. It's not about what I get out of it. It's not about that person's being used and I should be used like that person. Or how come my church isn't as big as that person's church? Or how come God used them? I'm better than them. In reality, you might be. But that's not how God works. That's the way the world works. The world works by choosing the most qualified person, putting them into a position, and then putting another qualified person in that position. And the most qualified person should get into that position. That's worldly wisdom. God says, I don't do things that way. I take a person and I fill them with the Spirit. I call them, I place them, and I fill them with the Spirit. So if you ever feel like, I think I could do better than him, yeah, you might be able to but you're not called and you're not filled with the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that's doing it and the Spirit can do it so much better. And so if you're wise, and if you're understanding, then you're gonna have some meekness. And if you're causing dissension in a body, if you've caused a church split, if you've gotten a group of people behind you to stir the pot up and you've stolen people's harmony and you've stolen the one accord atmosphere that God wants to have in a fellowship, then you're not walking in meekness. Meekness is an individual that says, I want to serve and I want to come alongside and I want to help. Now he goes on to say here, and he gives two different kinds of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is that wisdom that says, this is the way things should be run. But you do realize that God doesn't do things the way the world does things. You realize that God's ways are as high above this earth as the heavens are above the earth and that God does things with a dichotomy. That's why... There's a recent church growth book about getting the right person into the right spot in the church. Then you have success as a church. No, that's business management. That's business management 101. You're running a business, you want to get the right people in the right spots. When you're running a church, you want to get the person called and gifted, not necessarily the person that has the exact skills that you need for that set. In fact, sometimes it's they don't have those skills at all but they have the gifting and they have the calling of God. God does things his way. And so he says in verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, he starts by saying this worldly wisdom has bitter envy and self-seeking. It just doesn't just have jealousy. It doesn't just have envy. It has bitter envy. It wants what the other person has. Why am I not being used? Why am I not recognized? Why are they being recognized? Why do people in the church know who they are? Why do they get to have a home fellowship? How come he's running the men's ministry? How come she is? I'm supposed to be the one that runs it, not her. That's the envy. And it's not just envy, it's bitter envy. And, and this worldly wisdom is not only envious, but it's self-seeking. 
Why isn't it me? I should be the one. It's all about me. Self-seeking. Look at verse 14 again. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Don't say, I'm a really spiritual person and I should be there. Hey, you're lying and you're boasting against the truth. The reality is, is that you're ambitious. Now, this accusation that you're ambitious, well, the, the disciples were ambitious, right? The disciples were all constantly arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James and John were so ambitious that they got their mommy to go ask Jesus if they could sit in their right and left hand in the kingdom. And Jesus constantly said, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then learn to be the servant of all, which is another way of saying be meek. You want to be a leader, then be meek. Learn to be the servant of all, if that's the case. He says the wisdom, this wisdom, this worldly wisdom that is self-seeking and has bitter envy does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It is earthly because it's in the earthly realm. It's the way people run businesses and people who run churches like they run businesses are making huge mistakes. It's sensual, not in the sense of sexual, but in the sense of it's, it's taste, it's touch, it's feel. It's all by what you see, hear, and smell. Those are the decisions you're making. That's the, the earthly wisdom. And that's not the way God runs things. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Why is it demonic? Because Satan wanted to exalt his throne above the throne of God. Because Satan was so spectacular as a creation of God, probably one of the three archangels, Michael and Gabriel being the other two, that he looked at himself and he said, I'm as good as God. And we say, how could he ever think that? How ridiculous. Even more ridiculous that people say I'm as good as God. And how many people say that? If you don't, you say, well, I don't think people say they're as good as God. Really? You ever been in a university? You've lot of world religions. I'm God. I'm God and God is me. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. Well, if God's desire is for us to have harmony in our fellowship, if Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by how well the church is run. Oh, wait a minute, that's not what he said. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So it's not that when they walk into church, everything is clicking just the way it's supposed to be. Runs really smooth, right? But instead, it's we love one another. We care for one another. When there's strife and there's, there's things that are taking place and dissensions, we're able to handle them and take care of them because we're meek. Look, you get two meek people into a room with two dogs in a fight, and they're going to work it out. I love when Paul writes, and I forget what book it's in. It's in Galatians or it's, I think it's in Galatians. No, it's not. It's in Colossians. No, it's not. It's in one of those books in the Bible. And Paul says, tell this lady and that lady to work it out. He actually literally says this, tell this lady and that lady to get along. That's how he solves the problem. He says, just tell them to get along. But if they're both meek, then they would be able to get together and get along because a meek person can work it out. Earthly wisdom doesn't do that because it's self-seeking, because it's envious, because it wants to exalt itself, because it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. It says, for where envy, verse 16, and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's what happens to our churches. When we allow people who are self-seeking 
and have worldly wisdom into areas of leadership. That's what happens in our churches when people who are attending are prideful and look around and say, I think I can straighten this thing out by the worldly wisdom that I have. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.